Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm not on the live stream. Am I on here? Yeah? I'll turn this off. Sorry. Thank you. So, let me get this up. So, I took, um, Marie's dad went with me, and they were part of our congregation at the time, Rob Burkhart. Some, anybody remember Rob Burkhart? Yeah, he went with us. So, we were out fishing. He was on a different boat than my boat, and he hooked into a salmon. They take a while to get in, so he's reeling in the salmon. And again, we're all guys from the church, right? So he's reeling in the salmon. And right when they get the net, all right, and they're pulling up the salmon, they're hooking it, or actually they hooked it and they're bringing it up. Out of the water comes a sea lion and bites into the fish. So it had been trailing like the fish now became like the lure for the sea lion, right? So it bites into the fish. So this captain, who's, I don't think he follows Jesus, takes an oar. And just, he's swearing, like, here, like, you let go of that, you. And he's just beating the sea line, right? Why is he swearing at the sea line? Yeah, I know, huh? And eventually, the sea line gives up. If you're a fan of Peter, you're probably not going to be a fan of this service. So just <laughs> to forewarn you out there. So he's beating the sea lion <laughs> to knock it off the salmon. And uh, the salmon has these teeth mark scrapes all the way down the salmon. Of course, it was still edible, so it was a great catch. But the thing is, if you want to catch a sea lion, use salmon as a bait, right? You just use a live salmon, and that's how you catch with live bait. They prefer that, I've heard. Um, another story is about a friend of mine, Steve Ontiveros. And Steve um, was a major league pitcher for the Oakland A's for years. Um, in fact, in the mid-90s, he was quite good. He made the all-star team several times. He was a middle reliever and uh, was the ERA champ of the American League once. So Steve had retired, and we became friends and through hunting and fishing. So he calls me up one day, and he says, Hey, listen, Lloyd, I've got a friend of mine and his son coming into town. I told him I'd take him bass fishing. And he has another pitcher friend who has, like, this private lake in Tempe that they just stock with bass. He goes... Um, and he told me who they were. And, and so the father, I knew because he was just recently, they were the World Series champions, and he was the catcher for that team. And so I remember watching him. And, and catchers, if you don't know much about baseball, they are like the manly men of baseball. They get beat up by wild pitches. Sometimes the bat will hit them, um, or it'll, it'll ricochet, the ball will ricochet off and f- foul ball right into their kneecaps, whatever. So these guys are the toughest guys on the field. So I'm thinking this is going to be awesome. So he goes, his son is now playing double A's for the Mets, but he was this World Series champion dude. So he goes, would you take me out? You take a boat, I'll take a boat, and we'll go fishing. I'm like, all right. Um, but on the way, we stopped at a bait shop. And he told me, he goes, these are the lures that we're going to use, but I want to make sure we catch fish. So I'm going to pick up some water dogs. Anybody know what a water dog is? I got a picture of them, water dogs. Right here's these are water dogs, right? They're little dudes. They crawl along the bottom, and they're live bait. And you take and you hook them in the tail. Again, no animal was hurt in the in the production of, the, of this. Just to let you know. And uh, bass love them. Like 
They love them. So he goes, just in case we have the water dogs. I'm like, all right. So we get out there, and one of the boats goes down. So he goes, listen, you take, I'll fix the boat. As Steve said, you take the boat out there with the guys and take them fishing. So we're out there, and we're casting out lures, bringing them in. We're not getting any hits at all. So I go, okay, watch this. So I attach a, a water dog down, boom, down to the bottom, let it go. Uh, five minutes later, bam, five-pound bass. I'm reeling it in. And the son's like, oh, my gosh. He goes, I want to try that. I go, okay, we'll just grab one of the water dogs out there and just hook it in the tail. And he's like, oh, I don't think I can do that. I go, what do you mean you can't do that? He goes, uh, there's a slight, there's a slimy. <laughs> I go, I'm like, okay, you're a major league pitcher, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I pick up and I, and I hook it in for him and he throws it in the water. Boom, he hits a bass. Dad, you got to try this, right? Here's this catcher manly man. He goes, oh, but I don't think I can touch one of those. I'm like, <laughs> I said, put your poles down. Give me back your man card, and I'll take the World Series ring at the same time, huh? Because <laughs> you're not a man if you can't put a water dog on a hook, right? So the whole day, I became their, um, their no bait dude <laughs> while they fished and caught bass. And so they wouldn't even pull the fish off. They're like, I can't touch it. I'm like, give me the, give me the line. <laughs> catch it. We did catch and release, so the bass went back in. And I say all this to say is uh, uh, the survey says that 9 out of 10 fish prefer live bait. You didn't know that, did you? When it, when it, when it comes down to it, losers are fun. A pure fisherman will tell you don't use live bait. If you want to catch fish, though, like if that's all you want to do is really catch fish, live bait's really a good way to go because they just will hit on worms and all these things like that. And I write, the reason I say that is did you know that God prefers live bait? He prefers, like, we don't. We want marketing campaigns. We want to pay for flyers to go out so that the neighborhood will come to our Family Fall Festival. You know, we prefer um, Facebook ads or mailers, um, professional musicians with rocking worship bands and programs and manufactured lures. Maybe I can just put a fish on my car and I promise I'll drive the speed limit. I mean, or um, give me a John 3.16 sign, and I'll, I'll suffer and go to all the Cardinals games, and I'll stand right behind. Uh, I'll take that assignment, Jesus, just for you. <laughs> and, uh, but God prefers to use live bait. And even after Jesus talked about it all the time, even after Jesus died and rose from the grave, and he did many miracles even after the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus, they, figure, they failed to figure out that this was God's plan. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to read this morning. In the scriptures, if you join me there, or the words will be on the screen. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Showing up once in a while here and there, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before, 
John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's sitting there talking about the kingdom of God. We're not sure exactly what some of those conversations were, but I'm positive that a lot of those conversations were about, I'm now sending you out to be my disciples, my apostles, my witness and testimony of this world. Um, He was giving them instructions on how to fish. In fact, Mark tells us that some of his final words, Mark chapter 16, 15 through 19, he says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They're able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink any poisonous, anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They're able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking, see, this is the same context as here's the book of Acts. They're telling the same story from dis- different perspectives. And when the Lord had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what he'd said by many miraculous signs. So Jesus tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit, then go out. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has this time come for you to free Israel and restore a kingdom? And he's talking about the kingdom of God of being testimony, fishing for men. And they come back to what they had learned all their life in Jewish Sunday school, that the Messiah would come And they would physically overthrow the Roman government and free Israel. So they're waiting for a military leader. And after everything they've seen, after everything they've heard, after this great commission, after pondering the kingdom of God, their question is, is now the time we take off and do our thing? Is this the moment? We're ready to take up arms. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into the cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see them. As they strained to see him rising to heaven, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? He's told you what to do, right? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, hopefully soon, he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Amen? They're wondering when they're going to restore the kingdom. They're looking for concepts. They're looking for things that they had learned, um, systems. Peter, remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, grabs a sword and starts fighting. Um, Yet at this moment, war wasn't the answer. People filled and led by the Holy Spirit was the answer. Like going to war, a battle, they were trying to fight the wrong battle. And being filled with God's presence is the answer. So God prefers live bait. And um, 
you can't refute that God's alive when he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Or he uses ordinary people that uh, one scripture says they were unlearned. They didn't really know a lot, but yet through them spoke great things. One of the stories I love in the Bible was the story of Ananias because I could put myself sort of in this category where the Lord asks you to do something that's really difficult or really outside of your box. And then he he does something powerful through your life in Acts chapter nine, verse 10. Because when the Lord called me, I was just a young man whose family had just gone through a divorce. And. Um, wasn't 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 empowered very much by my father, stepfather that was leaving. I'm trying to figure out the right word to say about that. So here's Ananias. He goes, now there was a believer in Damascus, verse 10, chapter 9 of Acts. Sorry, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, the Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Saul had been around persecuting Christians, and he's in the middle of the road, and this light shines, and uh, he goes blind, and they take him to this place, and it was Jesus speaking to Paul, so now he's saying, um, go, go to this place, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, he is praying to me right now, I've shown him a vision of a, na- a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him, so that he can see again, <laughs> but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard about this guy. <laughs> this guy's out there killing people just like me. He says, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem and that he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to me on the road, has sent me to that you might regain sight and be filled again. Here we go. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scales fell off his eyes. So here it is. Here's this man. And he prays for him. And not only does God heal him, but he fills him with the Holy Spirit. Why? So he can now go testify to the Gentiles of the power of Jesus Christ. Ordinary people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit who make powerful impacts. I love I love studying history, especially when it comes to great men and women of God who are ordinary people who did great and extraordinary things. Um, Robert Moffat is a Scottish missionary. He went to Africa during the 1800s. It was actually his daughter, Mary, who married David David Livingston, who was a famous African missionary and explorer. Um, He said this with tears in his eyes. This is his quote. In the vast plain of the north, I've sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. Like the passion and burden of his heart as he saw this. His eyes filled with tears. Amy Carmichael was in India in the early 1900s. She was a predecessor to Mother Mother Teresa, so she's sort of setting up the scene for this. And the fellowship that she founded in southern India would become a sanctuary for over 1,000 children who would otherwise have faced a very bleak, bleak future. She herself, even though she was in Caucasian, 
She dressed herself in Indian clothes, dyed her skin with dark coffee, and often traveled long distances on India's hot, dusty roads just to save one child from suffering. While serving in India, Amy received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary. And she asked Amy, what is missionary life like? And her reply was this, missionary life is simply a chance to die. Hudson Taylor was a British Protestant Christian missionary to China and the founder of the China Inland Mission. He spent 51 years in China. Ordinary people. The society that he began was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to the country who began 125 schools and directly resulted in 18,000 Christian conversions. If you don't know, there's a move of God happening in China. It's just underground, but it's just taking over. This is what he said in his passion. What, would that God would make hell so real to us that we cannot rest and heaven so real that we must have men there. William Booth. Anybody know who William Booth is? Methodist, British Methodist preacher who came over and founded the Salvation Army. I saw a thing this week, and I just want to comment on I saw that the Salvation Army came under some scrutiny from a political, sort of a political right for some inclusion statements they made on their website. And I know what they were trying to do. They're trying to say, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you need help, we'll help you. That was the context. I've actually known some people and uh, leaders at Salvation Army churches. They're in the inner city because they care about the poorest of the poor and the most desolate. These people preach the gospel. I mean, they are on fire. They just have a passion for the inner city. So I can tell you, if you walk out and you have some extra change, go ahead and throw it in, right? Because I can tell you, these people are on point with preaching the gospel of Jesus. But William Booth said a couple things that I really like. He says, um, I must go not only to those who need me, but to those who need me most. He said, your days at the most cannot be very long, so use them to the best of your ability for the glory of God and the benefit of your generation. And then here's one. Some of my best men are women. And all the women said, right? Because he had such a great volunteer force. Um, some of the men and women that I hang out with a lot are sort of these type of people. Brian Sanders was a part of the family that Floyd sort of had, the All Nations family. He and his family years ago lived homeless uh, for nine months in Manila, Philippines, just so he could feel what it was like before he started ministering to these people. Like they just literally live with the homeless people so he could get it. He came back. Uh, to the state and went to Ybor City, which is sort of a rough area of Tampa Bay, and started a church called Tampa Underground with these micro churches. And uh, they were churches of hate. There was a, a micro church of Haitian refugees, of women who've come out of the sex slave industry, of the homeless. And then they all would gather for a celebration service. But all these, all these little ministries, these little house churches were all over the place. But they were of those type of people. He just has a passion for that. Of course, we know Papa Floyd, and he, was, he started off his ministry in Afghanistan with a halfway house for those in the 70s, those young people on the drug journey, they call it the drug road, and he had a halfway house for those who were crashing the Westerners. Then he, then he moved his family to the red light district in Amsterdam and ministered to those people and uh, the young ladies who were used 
as, as slaves for a sex industry, and he ministered to there, and they did. And then he was in Africa to the poorest of the poor. And here I am in my ministry to the West Valley. And I can feel underwhelmed in the presence of such people. And I was talking to Floyd about that one day, and this is what he said to me. Missional work in suburbia America is one of the toughest callings in the world today. This guy had a halfway house in, Af- in Kabul, Afghanistan, and a church in the red light district. And he says, this is one of the toughest places because of apathy, affluence, and Christian misrepresentation. And the last two years, it just got tougher. Because historically, when a crisis hits our nation, people run to God and they run to the church. And this is the first time in the history of the United States when a crisis has hit that they run away. And so now we can look at the programs that we thought were great and all the marketing like that. We have a new strain that's coming out in South Africa. It's the fear that's in this world is crazy. And the only way I believe that people are going to be reached right now is with live bait. People that know people. Relationship to relationship. And what the fathers of Christianity understood and what the great missionaries of the world understood and what these guys understood and what is true today is the reason that we exist on this earth, that God has given us life, is to tell the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. To reproduce life in other people. And yes, God needs people to go to China and Africa and Japan. But God needs people who coach the t-ball teams in Litchfield Park. And have impact on the families and the people around them. All right, who didn't turn their phone off? (laughs) I don't know who's trying to call. Oh, Scam Likely. Anybody ever get called by Scam Likely? Forgot the turn. This guy gets around, right? He's just calling people all over the place. Sorry. (laughs) Second Corinthians chapter five. Good old scam. Verses 14 through 21 says this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone. So that those who would receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So this is so powerful. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin 
so that we could be right with God through Christ. Because to follow is to fish. Because God has chosen to use us. And he prefers live bait, real people, ordinary people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, your story is always the best story. If somebody knows you, your story of your life in Christ is always the best story. And you can say, well, you don't get my life right now. It's a little bit of a, of a wreck. I got one last fish story, okay? Years ago, I had a little bass tracker boat. It had been abandoned at a, at a, a boat RV storage place, and so I found out you had to go through these regulations, and if nobody claimed it after 30 days, you got it. So I got it, and it had a 40-horsepower engine on the back, so it was strong enough that I could still take the girls' um, inner tubing, but they were so embarrassed because there was a silver bass boat <laughs> running, through, running through the lake with them behind it, and these guys got all these ski boats, and there we are. And then I had a little trolling motor in the front, and I like to go fishing up on the rim um, above, above the Payson area. Willow Springs is one of my favorite lakes. So I had Brittany with me. She was a young girl at the time, and our two uh, Brittany Spaniel dogs were in the boat with us. Um, and all of a sudden, up over the ridge came the storm really quick and fast. And if, if you know the rim, when they come on fast, the wind's blowing. It gets cold really fast. And so here we are in the boat. So I immediately, uh, you can't use the 40 horsepower on Willow Springs. And I look back now and thought, well, I should have done it anyway. But So I'm trying to go against the wind with this trolling motor, which it's taken quite a while. So I tell Brittany, because she's freezing, get down with the dogs and just hold on to the dogs and get as low as possible, and I will get us in. So I have everything wrapped around my head. I got my head down trying to break the wind. We get there. I pull back. I had the Bronco at that time, the red Bronco. Pull up the red, bron red Bronco, turn on the heater. I get Brittany in. I get the dogs in. I put the boat on the trailer, you know, and then I jump in and just take off. And as I'm running up the ramp up the road, this guy's running behind me. I see him in the rearview mirror. He's like, hey, hey. I'm like, what? And he goes, you caught a fish. And, yeah, and in my hurry to get back, I never reeled the line in. And so I'm going up the road, and this fish is just flopping behind the, the boat with this line. That's how you tenderize fish, by the way, just so you know. And uh, so anyway, and it, just, it wasn't, uh, God uses all these things for illustrations of my life and your life, too, but. I just think that I get there's storms in our life. Like, there are the crazy things that have happened. And some of you right now are going, I couldn't share Christ right now because my life is a bit of a wreck. But you know what? My boat might be sinking. Those are the moments in time when it's powerful. Like, my life should be a wreck, but it's, it's not going to be. Like, I'm in a bad situation, but it's going to be okay. My marriage should have or could have been wrecked, but it didn't. See, this is my story. And, and, and Christ is there in the middle of it with me. And he's the redeemer, and he's the reconciler, and he makes all things new again. And that's the story we have. And so I'm going to conclude with this scripture that the team will come forward. First Peter, if we can go to that scripture. Verses, chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain this. But do it 
in a gentle and respectful way. And I'm telling you right now, in humility or with respect, if you just say to somebody in their crisis, hey, do you mind if I share my story? Make it like a three-minute story. What I was like, what happened when Christ entered into that situation, how it changed. A minute, a minute, three-minute story. And then you say right now, can I pray for you? And not just means like, I'll pray for you when I get home. Like, can I pray for you right now? People will receive that. And that's, that's being gentle. And that's being respectful. And you'd be surprised, no matter what's going on in your life, if you share your story, right, how it can impact a life. And God just prefers it that way. More than programs or anything. Like, that's the way it was meant to be. Because the follow is the fish. So would you join me as we stand? And I'm just going to pray over us that during this Christmas season that the Lord will give us opportunities just to share why he came to this earth, that he loves them so much that he died for them, and, um, and that he'll open up hearts. And so, Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing, like why you put people in our lives. Give us the words to speak, even though we might not know them. Fill us with Holy Spirit. So we'll know what to say and when to say it. Give us the courage to pray for people. Just to pray for people. When you find out somebody, their relative is sick, or somebody they know got COVID, give us the courage just to pray right then, right now. So we we are so happy, Lord, that you've chosen to use us. We don't feel worthy or even gifted enough, but that's why you sent Holy Spirit into our lives, to empower us to do things we couldn't do on our own. So we choose to be vessels right now. We choose to look for opportunities. And then we're going to share the testimonies when we get back with our brothers and sisters of how God used us. We thank you for that opportunity, Lord Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen.